Uh, good morning, uh, Light of the World Church. It's good to be here. This is the day the Lord has made, and we have been rejoicing in him because we're glad in him. Amen. It is good to uh, be in the house of the Lord together with my brothers and sisters. And uh, as you know, Pastor Reggie has been preaching through uh, the book of Philippians in a series entitled, Be Encouraged. And how encouraging it's been and how profitable it's been to hear uh, God's word preached from this letter uh, that Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to those that are in Philippi, to them and for us today. Um, Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue in this letter. So please turn with me in your Bibles, if you can, to Philippians chapter 3. And the title of my message this morning is Losing It All to Gain Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to encourage these believers to continue to grow in their love and their knowledge of Christ, to, to live for Christ and to live for others as those who have been redeemed by Christ. And Paul had a great affection for the Philippian uh, church. This was the first church that he uh, founded in Europe. Uh, Philippi was located in the eastern region of Macedonia, uh, which today would be modern-day Greece. Uh, so whenever he would pray for them, his heart would be full of joy and thanksgiving because from the beginning, uh, the Philippians they cared for Paul, and they partnered with him in ministry uh, through their love, through their hospitality, and even their financial support. Uh, for instance, in Acts chapter 16, uh, we read that the very first convert in Philippi was a woman named Lydia, uh, whom God uh, opened her heart, it says, to listen to uh, Paul preach. And after that, she was saved, and her household was saved, and they were baptized. Uh, she insisted that Paul and Timothy come and stay at her home. And this was an act of uh, hospitality that came uh, from the heart. And on another occasion, uh, uh, when Paul left Macedonia uh, to bring the gospel abroad, it was only the uh, Philippian church who sent him off with uh, financial support. And then when Paul was put in prison uh, for the second time, uh, which was probably in Rome, uh, the Philippians somehow heard about this, and uh, they were moved in their heart uh, to send one of their church leaders, Epaphroditus, not only to bring him a gift, uh, but to help care for his needs. Um, and that trip would have been over 800 miles, and it would have taken you know, several weeks, if not months, uh, but it just goes to show how much love they had for Paul. And as we heard last week, this dear brother, Epaphroditus, uh, was a, was a blessing uh, to, to Brother Paul, and uh, he got sick and, and nearly died. Um, but it, it, it turns out that God had mercy on him, and, and also Paul. Uh, but the Philippians somehow heard about this, and they became concerned for him. Uh, although God had healed him, they heard about it before that, uh, and, and then he heard that they got concerned, and then he was concerned for them, and it turns out that he, his heart wanted to see them. He was longing for them. And so Paul wrote this letter uh, from prison uh, to the Philippians in part to encourage them, uh, to thank them for their gift, and to send them back, Epaphroditus, uh, letting them know that they should 
honor a person like this, a man like this, because he risked his life for the work of Christ. And of course, now in the providence of God, we have this letter as part of the scriptures and how God just orchestrates all those things. Uh, but, but thank the Lord that we do have this letter, which has been such a blessing uh, to the church. <clears throat> so in the first chapter, Paul uh, tells the Philippians to live for Christ and, and to die, that to live, for, to, live is, is, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To, to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, he tells them. He says, stand firm side by side for the faith of the gospel. Don't uh, fear your opponents uh, because it's been granted to you not only to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. So live for Christ. And then in chapter 2, he, he tells them to live for others. Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Uh, or pride, but in, in humility, count others uh, more uh, than yourselves. Count their interests. Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Watch out for pride and, and selfishness, he tells them. And, and consider Christ's ultimate example, who, uh, although he was uh, equal to God and in the form of God, he didn't, he didn't count that. Uh, equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself uh, and, and, and he took on the form of a servant and he was born in the likeness of men and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. So keep that in mind, Philippians. Look at the example of Christ and grow in your commitment to live for others. And look also to the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus who, who modeled this. And that brings us to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Paul wants to, the Philippians to follow the example of those who've put their confidence in Christ alone and not in the flesh. Since knowing Christ is worth more than anything else, let your confidence be in him alone. Uh, he says, be on guard because opponents will come to try to lead you astray from this confidence. So let's give our careful attention now to the reading of God's word. I'd ask the congregation to please stand. This is Philippians chapter 3, the first 11 verses. Let's listen carefully now to the living and active word of God. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. We thank you, Lord, for this word. We ask that you open our ears now, and our eyes, and our minds, and we ask that you remove all distractions now. Let us hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. When, uh, when we first moved to the Poconos, uh, one of the things I, I used to do was uh, take out our own, or get rid of our own trash. And uh, every Saturday, I'd load our minivan up with a week's worth of uh, stinky trash and recycling. And I would drive down to the local uh, uh, refuse and recycling place. And uh, they had these huge containers in the back where uh, you could dump your trash bags and, you know, pay a few dollars. And the smell was uh, pretty rancid. Um, you can imagine all the garbage uh, that's there, the, the community's garbage. Uh, but there was one particular day where the entire place smelled particularly horrendous. And apparently, earlier that day, uh, someone brought a pickup truck uh, of garbage bags that were full of what had to be at least a year's worth of human waste and dumped it into the container uh, before they could be stopped. And the, the stench was so bad, so aggressive, that everyone was sort of covering their noses with their shirts and taking refuge and quickly getting, getting to do what they had to do and get out of there. And you could see the workers were pretty upset. You know, poor workers, they had to stay and endure all that. Uh, but even though that man wasn't <clears throat> supposed to actually do that, um, th these facilities exist uh, because people need a place to put their trash. People need a place to get rid of the things they no longer want, uh, to throw out items they find worthless or detestable. Uh, these are places of garbage, of filth, of refuse, rubbish, and yes, even dung. And those are some of the words that translate the Greek word that Paul used in this text. The word is eskubalon, which means refuse, rubbish, filth, dung. And what Paul is saying to the Philippians is, watch out for opponents who will try to get you to put your confidence in the flesh, which is like trusting in bags of rancid trash or dung. And these teachers are going to insist that, that Gentiles need to submit 
to old covenant ceremonial laws and to make, to make real spiritual progress, to, to really enter into salvation. But these teachers are actually dogs and evildoers. And they deny that Christ is the fulfillment of these types and shadows. And they just want to boast in the flesh. And look, I have more grounds, he says, to boast than any one of them. Uh, but I refuse to do so because that doesn't lead to knowing Christ. And they think that uh, righteousness comes from observing uh, these, practices, these practices. But righteousness comes only from God through faith in Christ. And it, in our modern times, uh, the temptation to trust in the flesh comes to us in different forms. Uh, we, we may not necessarily be tempted to revert back to the ceremonial law, uh, but pride and putting confidence in the flesh comes through whatever you consider to be an advantage, a privilege, or an achievement. Maybe it's your abstinence from a particular sin. You don't struggle with a specific sin. And so perhaps you look down on those who, who can't seem to get the victory over a particular sin. And you think, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> they don't have the victory that I have. And so you, you trust in your, your achievement of abstinence from certain sins. Or maybe it's your giftings or your education, or your knowledge, your work ethic. Maybe it's your consistent devotions, your, your spiritual discernment, your, your Christian upbringing, or your denominational distinctives. These are your advantages or your achievements. But Paul's point is the following. Since knowing Christ is worth more than anything else, your confidence should be in him alone. But he doesn't just say that outright like that. He unfolds that for them. And let's look at how he actually unfolds that big idea. He says, he starts with, firstly, Rejoice and beware of dogs. Rejoice and beware of dogs. He says in verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. When, when Paul says finally, he's, he's not using the word um, to conclude his letter as if he's done, as in lastly. Uh, he means it more as, So then, my brothers... So then, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, he starts by telling them to rejoice. Uh, brothers and sisters, having confidence in Christ, in Christ alone, starts with seeing the Lord as glorious, seeing the Lord as marvelous, as magnificent, and rejoicing in him. Rejoice in him. Consider Christ. Delight yourself in him. Glory in his splendor and, and who he is 
at what he has done. Celebrate him. Rejoice in him. Rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. The power to resist sin does not come from the words, don't sin. No, the power comes from the Holy Spirit filling your heart with delight for Christ. With delight for Christ so that as you delight in him, sin loses its appeal. That's where the power comes. The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Rejoice in the Lord. And what he's about to write is, is something that he's, he's, he's told them before in person. But it, it's so important that he's willing and more than happy to say it again. Because it's safety for them. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is warning them to look out for false teachers who will, will come and insist that the Gentiles, and there were a lot of Gentiles in this church, and, and, and probably about 10 years ago when he wrote the book of Galatians, he dealt with the same kind of issue. And, and he, it was quite possible that they would, those same teachers would come and now try to infect this body. And he says, look out. Uh, they're they're, they're, they're going to try to come and, and, and say that these Gentile converts to Christianity, you, uh, in order to like really be saved, you, gotta, you, gotta, you need circumcision. And, and you got to follow uh, the Old Testament ceremonial laws. That, that's where the secret sauce is. Yes, it, it's Christ, but it's Christ plus this stuff in, if you, if you want to be saved. And this is a destructive message. Physical circumcision, which was their badge of pride, it was their advantage, has now become the sign of their destruction. So look out for the dogs. Now, dogs were often homeless uh, scavengers and were considered filthy animals. I know many of us today just think of them as cute pets, but, uh, but the word dog was, was frequently used by Jews by some Jews as an insult to describe the Gentiles who were considered unceremonially or unritually or ritually unclean. So Paul is writing with some biting irony here. Uh, he, he's saying, you know, it's actually the Judaizers who are the dogs, not the Gentiles who are the dogs. The, the ones bragging about doing the good works of the law are the evildoers who mutilate the flesh. I just, I just love how, you know, God just is a plot twister, right? It, it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, in Psalm 22, which is an extraordinary a messianic psalm uh, that prophesied the suffering of Christ centuries 
before it took place. You really, I, I commend, read Psalm 22. But in verse 16, it says this, For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And Revelation 22:15 says, Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Yes, there is a category of people who are dogs in the scripture. But it's not those who were ritually unclean. It was the ones who were spreading the message of glorying in the flesh. Those are the dogs. In verse 3, he goes on to say this. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is the true circumcision. The, the, the true circumcision. Circumcision was meant to point to something, not be an end to itself in terms of physically, but the true circumcision are those who worship God from the heart because the Holy Spirit has awakened an understanding in them of the beauty and the majesty and the power of God. And because we have been awakened, we worship from the heart. We worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, and, 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 and those who are the true circumcision celebrate. They, they give thanks to God and they rejoice in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 2, 28 to 29, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You know, one of the things of glorying in the flesh is the desire for the praise of man. But Paul says here that his praise is not from man, but from God. And in John 4, 23, Jesus told the woman at the well, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, that doesn't sound anything like glorying or putting confidence in the flesh. This is entirely of a different class. But what is the flesh? What does that mean? It's somewhat of a complicated word because 
its usage in Scripture is, is pretty varied. But the word flesh comes from the Greek term sarx, uh, again, which is used in, in a variety of ways. But broadly speaking, it, it falls into two main categories. The first is the, the physical substance of our bodies, the, what we're made of. Uh, this is the flesh that, uh, that, is, that in Christ is made into the temple of the Holy Spirit. For instance, Psalm 84, 2 says, uh, and the, the psalmist says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. <clears throat> that, that is one usage of flesh, uh, our, our physical substance. But the second use refers to the sinful nature of man and uh, a character or quality that is against God. And for instance, in Galatians 5, 16 to 17, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Uh, J.B. Kachilla put it this way, the first is the physical flesh that we have and our skills, talents, and personal capabilities. The second is the sinful nature, the character and attitude that prefers to do what God doesn't like. So true circumcision puts no confidence in the flesh in any sense of the word. No confidence in your skills, your capabilities, and no confidence whatsoever in everything in you that is disinclined to God. And he continues in verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul begins to play a hypothetical game. You know, before he was a Christian, um, you know, compared to these Judaizers, he had way more grounds for confidence in the flesh. And the reasons to boast in the flesh for him fell into two categories. His pedigree and his performance. And in this hypothetical game, it's as if he's saying, Judaizers, see if you can top this. This is my, these are my credentials that I would have for glorying and putting confidence in the flesh. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. He was physically circumcised at the exact time prescribed by the law in Leviticus 12.3. Exactly seven days after the date of his birth. He was a legit eight-dayer. And next he was in the line of the people of God belonging to the people of Israel. He was racially a pure-blooded Israelite. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin 
was the only son born in the promised land. And it was the only tribe to remain faithful to Judah and the house of David after the death of Solomon. Israel's first king was a Benjamite. Benjaminite. Benjaminite. And the Apostle Paul's Hebrew name was Saul. I know, I know people think his name was changed. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. His parents were Hebrew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He spoke both Hebrew and Aramaic. In a time where uh, many of the Jews that were coming back from the diaspora were were only able to speak Greek. Uh, his parents, he could, he could read and pray in, in Hebrew. And he re read the scriptures in Hebrew. His, his parents put him through the best education in Jerusalem under the famous Rabbi Gamaliel. That's like attending the most elite private school. He had the top education. This is an impeccable List of inherited advantages. This is before he's even done anything. This is his pedigree. This is, you know, this is the, the blood I come from. But then there are his achievements. As, as to the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee. The Pharisees were the most impressive and respected group in Israel. According to Josephus, they, they numbered about 6,000. The, they were an elite denomination within Israel. They were the strictest religious sect. And they had the respect of everyone. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul was what somebody described as a Pharisaic terrorist. He was esteemed by his peers for his zeal and his terror campaign against the church, which of course was a threat to the, the Pharisaic system. And so in addition to being part of a member of the Pharisees, he also uh, strictly and vehemently uh, resisted those that would oppose it, especially these new Christians. The book of Acts records that he was present at the stoning of Stephen as he guarded the, the garments of the executioners. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, I know when we read that, we're like, what, what, what does that mean? <laughs> um, he's not saying that he was sinless uh, or perfect, but blameless. Uh, one commentator said this, the Pharisees assumed that a faithful Israelite could keep the Torah's 613 commandments because the law provided rituals and procedures to receive forgiveness and purification. Paul's conduct was blameless in the sense that blameless describes an exemplary way of life in accordance with the Pharisaic interpretations. And this is how his peers saw him. Holy blameless. 
Now, of course, the reality is that his heart and his motives for pursuing this blameless status were all wrong in his pre-Christian days. It was all about getting to a place where no one could accuse him of breaking the law. Uh, it was like having an iron will. <laughs> um, and there are people like that. He was an elite Israelite that people would really be impressed with. But what are some of the advantages? What are some of the privileges or achievements in your life that, that give you grounds for putting your confidence in them? Is there something that perhaps you're proud of that you think you can present to God? We have to search our hearts. Is there something that others would notice about you? Yeah, this person is that. And it gives you a sense of pride. Secondly, gaining Christ is worth more than everything else combined. He continues in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul begins to use the analogy of a ledger with two columns. On one side, on one column, it's loss. On the other side, gain. And before he was a Christian, all of this pedigree and personal achievements were in the gain column for him. Uh, they were his, his wins, or as they would say, his, his W's. What is it like this? His W's. They were his reasons for having confidence in the flesh. No Judaizer could top this list of reasons to have confidence in the flesh. He, he was like an undefeated champion. But during Jesus' earthly ministry, there was a, there was a point where uh, great crowds started to follow him to follow Jesus, and, and he turned around, and Luke 14, 26 says, he turned around and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The call to follow Jesus is a call of self-denial. Jesus said, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. The writer of Hebrews, speaking about Moses, said this in Hebrews eleven twenty six: He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Yeah, this is about Moses. Considering the reproach of Christ. Moses was considering the reproach of Christ. The one whom had been prophesied since the very beginning. In Genesis 3.15. That seed that's coming. He, he didn't know the full details of who he was. But he considered, it says, the reproach of Christ. Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking to the reward. 
Yes, Moses is in the hall of faith as an example to follow because of this very fact. Because Christ, the reproach of Christ for him was in the gain column. And everything else, the treasures of Egypt, I was in the loss column. He continues in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, says Paul, I, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul took everything that he had previously considered gain, everything that was in the gain column, and he just moved it all to the loss column for the sake of Christ. Only Christ remained in the gain column. Are you willing to do that for the sake of Christ? But almost as if he didn't make the point with enough emphasis. He builds on that statement. And in verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know, in his pre-Christian days, Paul had poker chips stacked to the ceiling. Higher than everyone else on the table. But something happened. When he encountered Christ, he realized those chips have absolutely no value. In comparison to knowing Christ, in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, look how it gets personal. Those advantages, I now consider them disadvantages. And what were some of those things that he suffered the loss of? Uh, theologian D.A. Carson notes that Paul was written off by his former friends and intellectual peers. He lost the security of a home, becoming a constant traveler with no fixed abode. The kinds of sufferings he endured make for an astonishing list. And in fact, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24 to 28. He says, Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten by rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, Paul was not complaining here. He's not having a pity party. He wasn't whining. <laughs> He's basically saying, and he says later in that text, if I will boast... <laughs> I'll boast in the things that show my weakness. Because when I'm boasting in my weakness, definitionally, 
I'm boasting in Christ. I'm, I'm saying there's nothing here in me. It's all Him. You know, these things that were taken away from me, I consider them rubbish. Everything, everything, that's rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. I want only Christ in that gain column. I don't want anything else polluting that column. In other words, since knowing Christ is worth more than anything else, our confidence should be in him alone. Thirdly, gaining Christ means having his righteousness. What does gaining Christ mean for Paul? That he's willing to lose everything? Now, verse 9, it continues. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the most prized possession for Paul. This is to be found in Christ, to be united with him. Brothers and sisters, friends, Jesus came into this world in, in human flesh and he kept the whole law. He alone has actual righteousness Perfect obedience. And, that, and that's important because it means that his righteousness can be imputed to you and to me. He had perfect obedience. And one day we'll all have to stand before God. And you cannot stand before God without actual righteousness. This is the human dilemma. But the problem that we have is we cannot uh, rid ourselves of the sin. We cannot add either righteousness, actual right, righteousness to the gain column because we're born in sin. We, we, we already come as damaged goods. We don't have the ability to add actual righteousness on our own. But the righteousness of Christ can be imputed to you and to me. And, he, and you can stand before God with that. And, and here's the thing. Because Christ came as a man, he was also able to take the penalty of your sins and my sins to himself. He was able as a man to absorb the wrath because it was man who sinned. And so here you have a perfect man able to absorb the wrath of God for men like us. And when I say men, men and women, of course. He came and kept the whole law. He has perfect righteousness. Music team, you can come up. When we recognize this about Jesus, 
we can enter into this great exchange so that the righteousness of Christ can be imputed to my account and the sins and the penalty that I deserved can be imputed and charged to his account. This is the uniqueness of Christ. To put confidence in the flesh instead is to forego this beauty, glory, splendor, majesty, the greatest of news. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is the whole package. He has become, for those who are in Christ, all of these things. The audacity that we would have to try to put some of our own things in that gain column. You know, Christ stands all by himself. And the desire of the Christian is, I only want Christ in the gain column. He alone is worthy of that place. In verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The goal of knowing Christ, of, of trusting Christ, is to know him personally. To know him personally and the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? The power that he now exerts as the resurrected king seated on the right hand of the Father on high. There is a power available to us. But guess what? That power is dispensed as we go through the sufferings. The sufferings that come from the opposition that Christ himself endured, that Paul himself endured. You know, we have a danger here in this country. We're so comfortable. So sometimes we don't even know, Can't, would I endure suffering? Suffering for the sake of Christ? Would, would I endure losing my home or something like that? We're so comfortable. But the call to follow Jesus is, yes, be willing to lose whatever he would have you lose. Because in the end, you win. And those who suffer with Christ and for Christ will attain the resurrection from the dead. Even as he did. He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Don't misunderstand this. Paul's not saying, you know, you earn your salvation by suffering. No. What he's saying is this. It's all Christ. And those who are in Christ, if, if you've been united to Christ, the evidence of that is going to be Everything is done. It, it, everything compared to that, I'll lose everything. That's why he said, if you don't hate your mother and father, not that you do, to hate in that sense, but that he's so much more valuable that in comparison, it's like I hate everybody else. 
You get that, right? That's, it takes some wisdom to understand. But that's how infinitely supreme and worthy he is. That everything else is just like a bag of dung. So this is the call. We need to be reminded. We've we got to be shaken out sometimes of our uncomfortableness. Maybe it's, you know, speaking to somebody that you've been, you know, holding back on. Because you don't want to face the embarrassment. Imagine how small that is in comparison to some of the things that, that others go through. Like, Paul, I don't want to be, I don't want to face rejection. Dung. It doesn't matter. Face it. it it's, it's worth it because he is worthy of it. We can't achieve this through bravado. We achieve this by the Holy Spirit. And so it goes back to the beginning. How can we walk in this? Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes. Rejoice. See him. Look to Jesus. Study him. Meditate on him. Think about who he is. Worship who you know him to be according to how he's revealed himself. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full as full as you can. How? Oh, Lord, show me who you are. Show me, Lord. His face is wonderful. And the things of this world, as that great hymn goes, they're just going to lose their part. They're just going to just become stinky bags of dung. In contrast, it, they'll grow strangely dim, and even better, they'll get Horrendous in our sight, in the light of his glory and grace. That's the invitation, Christian. And if you don't know Christ, well, my challenge to you is this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You cannot stand before God without actual righteousness. If you think you're going to present something of yourself, you will be sorry Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. Only the gospel has the power to save. And it is only the good news of who Christ is and what he has done that unlocks for us eternity. Eternity so that we would live like this. How can a man have this kind of power? Christ. Christ and Christ alone. So I challenge you, uh, church, brothers, sisters, friend, if you don't know the Lord, or if you've lost sight of this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. The call to follow Christ is a call of denial. Let's consider the things that we hold dearly and that we're holding too tightly. And instead, open your hand. Lord, you can have it all. I can only do that by the Spirit of God.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Your word is power. Lord, we thank you that you, by your spirit, unlock this for us today. And every day, Lord, we, we want to know you and the, and, and, and the power of your resurrection. This power that you are still dispensing today from the right hand of the Father. God, we want to know you more and more. Forgive us, Lord, for those things that we have put inside of that gain, the things that we're still holding on to. Lord, help us to count them as rubbish. Help us, oh Lord. We, we need you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, if anyone here, Lord, does not know you in this way, would you, by your spirit, open their eyes, just like you opened Lydia's heart to hear Paul preached. You've got to do it, Lord. You're the heart opener. Lord, we want to, so to speak, hear the, the sound of gates unlocking in the spirit, Lord. Only you can see that, Lord. We depend upon you, Lord. Do this work in us. Thank you, Lord. Draw us nearer today. Draw us nearer every day to you. Be glorified. Let us live in such a way where our desire is just to see Christ and Christ alone, that our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone and nothing of the flesh. We give you praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.